we come here to worship you. And Lord, we thank you that you're Lord of our lives, and we lay ourselves down afresh. We say, God, we want to worship the King this morning. We want to worship you with all of our lives. And so, God, we pray that now, as, as we open your words, you meet us in your power. Amen. Okay, do grab a seat. So, um, we sometimes just, I think it's good just to acknowledge people who are serving wholeheartedly and are serving us so well. Um, and so, Penman's, just want to say thank you to you guys publicly. I get the opportunity to do that privately a lot, but you guys are just brilliant. So, these guys, every single week, organizing set lists, what we're going to sing, they're praying through that. God, what do you want us to sing this week? What's best for us in terms of our worship? How's that going to work for us as we look to be glorifying you and building one another up in song? Um, and then most weeks they lead, almost every week they lead, and they're here early with their kids. Now, we don't do this just to embarrass them, um, but because actually we want to be a church that is an encouraging church. Uh, we don't want to be churches that just uh, take advantage of people and allow people just to do stuff all the time without saying, hey, we honour what you do. Like, we love what you do. So, um, this week it's the diamond that I'm honouring. I just think you guys are awesome. So, thank you. Okay, so we are in the book of Joshua. Now, last week we did a bit of an introduction to Joshua. We're in Numbers 27. And um, we looked at this moment where Moses is taken up into the mountains and he looks over the land and he sees the land which the Israelites are going to inherit, but he's not. And Moses' response is godly and beautiful. His response isn't, Hey, Lord, why can't I go into the land? Let me into the land. Please let me into the land. His response is, okay, if I'm going to die, I don't want my people to be shepherdless. Give them a shepherd. And God instructs them to pick, instructs him that it's going to be Joshua. Joshua is going to be that new leader. And our series is called Courage for the Battles. Because it wasn't quite as simple as, well, now you're going to enter into the land and it's all going to be easy. And in many ways, we're in a, a similar place. Jesus says he's won the war, but many battles rage. And there's battles raging all over this nation, all over this city. Because every time Jesus claims a piece of land, an advance of his kingdom, well, the enemy wants to counterclaim that. And so we have this battle that is going on that won't fully be finished until Jesus returns and the new creation is established. Before we moved to Glasgow from Poole, uh, we got a number of prophetic words. And one of those prophetic words was about climbing a hill in Scotland, climbing a mountain. And we were to climb this mountain and God, it was like a kind of prophetic action that we were to do. This is what this person felt led to say to us. And uh, we were to go up and we were to survey the land, survey Scotland. And we were to dream big dreams and we were to pray big prayers. Because God was going to use us, not necessarily us here at Glasgow Grace or, or us as in me and Lindsay, but 
but actually the whole church in Scotland together was going to be used to do something extraordinary across the land. So we decided to go up that mountain with a couple of church planting friends from Inverness. And so we climbed up Cairngorm and Annabelle on our backs and we got to the top and we prayed. We prayed these big prayers. We prayed, God, would you come and break into this nation? Would you do something extraordinary? Would you claim the land for yourself from sea to sea, from north to south? God, would you do something extraordinary? And the prophetic word for us is that we, we might get the privilege of being a church where people would come in, we'd identify their gifts, and then they'd go out and do something extraordinary in church plants and other churches throughout the land. Now, that's my dream. I kind of got that, like, it was like kind of mustering in my soul. I can almost hear the words of John Knox, give me Scotland or I die. And I was just so... In that moment, I was just ready. I was like, come on, God, let's go and do I want to do this. I'm ready, God. But as a Scot, and let's be honest, it doesn't take long for Scots to get cynical, for prophetic words and faith and fight in your soul to return to Scottish pessimism. So some of you are thinking, man, this guy needs to drink less coffee and uh, he needs to stop listening to so many American preachers because he's just, you know... He's just getting a bit beyond himself now. Chill out, Ian. But although I don't believe we should conjure up false faith in any way and shout about stuff as as if that's going to make God do it more, but I do think that as the people of God, we are called to be world changers. I do think that God is calling us to be a part of something, a mission that has a big vision. In fact, that has a vision for the whole earth. And we're called to be a part of that. And I think as Scots, we need to throw off some of this cynicism, this pessimism that we have, that is so rife in our culture. We want to see his glory fill the land, don't we? This is the fight we are born for. This is the fight of our lives, to bring God's blessing to Glasgow, to Scotland, to the world. So this morning in in Joshua chapter 1, I want us to learn God's pattern for preparing for the fight of our lives. This fight we are made for. Yes, Jesus has won the war, but he's sending us to battle. Are you ready? God is preparing us for something. And I think there's something particular about the summer period. Our number's going to be a bit smaller. But I think God is preparing us as a church. Preparing us for what's coming in the autumn and beyond. When God, I believe, is going to do something extraordinary. So, I think we should pray. Father, we do not want to make stuff up. We don't want to do stuff and and run after stuff that you've not given us to do. But where you have given us stuff. Where you have given us a mission to join. Where you have said go and and be a part of what I'm doing in this nation, in this city, in our villages, in our towns, in our communities, in our homes. God, I pray that we would grab hold of it with all our might. I pray that we'd keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. That we'd fight with all our might for the glory of God as you help us to do that by the mighty power of your Holy Spirit. So would you come now and would you speak that into our hearts? 
Protect us from cynicism, we pray. Protect us from from being pessimistic. And help us to have bold, courageous faith like Joshua. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, before we get going in chapter one, let me just give a quick overview of the book. Okay, so Joshua in Hebrew is the same name for the Greek name Jesus. Okay, that's really important for the context of this book. It means God saves. So when we read Joshua, we're supposed to see something of God's pattern for saving people that ultimately comes in the person of Jesus. And that can be said of all scripture in some way. That's why Jesus says in John 5, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Now, of course, these are human authors and they speak into a particular context. But although they speak into a particular context, there is a divine writer, an inspiration of what they have written in every single word. And that is God himself, the Holy Spirit, bringing about scripture, the scripture we have according to the canon which we believe in. And so, as we look through scripture, and you look at a book like Joshua, and you see these patterns which are really obvious when you start to pick up on them, it's not wrong for us to say, well, this really reminds me of Jesus. This really reminds me of the gospel. And that's because actually the whole Bible is ultimately about Jesus. It's ultimately about the gospel. And the gospel is Jesus. And so when we look through Joshua, we're going to see some really interesting things that are going to help us see that the whole Bible is this beautiful puzzle. And actually, there are pieces that are perfectly shaped for each part of that puzzle. They're just the right size. And and they're placed by the Holy Spirit into this larger picture of the whole message of the God, of God to the world. So the first five verses before we um, dip into the meat of, of chapter one are actually really helpful for us because they give us this outline of the whole book. Verse one reflects chapter one all the way through to chapter five, verse 12. And it's all about being saved. See, they're crossing over into the land in that moment. They're receiving their inheritance in the same way that when we come to faith in Jesus, our saving leader, our saving king, we receive our place in God's kingdom. Verse 3 reflects chapter 5, verse 13, all the way through to 1224. It's all about becoming one of God's victorious people. They go around conquering the enemy, the Amorites. And actually, what we're seeing there is that in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We now have this spiritual battle to fight. And we are more than conquerors. God has given us authority in the spiritual realm. Verse 4 reflects chapter 13, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 22, verse 34. And it's all about finding purpose in the mission of God. See, at that point, we start to see the land being distributed to different parts of Israel. And actually, each of us in this room has our place in the advancing kingdom of God. So each of you has gifts that God has given you, or will develop gifts that God is going to give you. 
And you're supposed to use those as part of this glorious advance of the kingdom of God across the earth. And then verse 5 reflects chapters 23 and 24 as kind of final words in the book of Joshua. And it's all about facing today's struggles in the hope of eternal life. How do you remain in the land? How do you stand firm? How do we persevere until he returns? Well, we need to live in the hope of the new creation. So you might have come here thinking, oh man, Joshua. Just historical book, isn't it? He's going to give us a bit of a history lesson. Yon. And uh, it's going to be like some extremely tenuous links towards uh, the gospel in some way. You're hoping he tells a few funny stories this time. Otherwise we'll be really bored. But actually the book of Joshua is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. So the heart of what it means to be saved by Jesus, be joined into his church, commissioned with a life's purpose and face transient struggles with the hope of eternal life. So I think it's pretty exciting. Okay, let's begin by reading chapter 1. And I'm going to ask Jen to come and do that. So you don't have my voice all morning. Um, it's a chapter all about how the death of Israel's great leader marks the beginning of a new, courageous and fruitful life for God's people. And I think that should remind us of something. So Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you, giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, east of the Jordan, towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. 
Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jen. Great pronunciations as well. That is the challenge of these passages. I'm impressed. Okay, so I'm hoping Joshua 1 helps us to prepare for the fight of our lives. And the fight for life must begin with death. Verses 1 through 4. The book of Joshua begins with God telling Joshua in no uncertain terms of the death of Moses. Now God is very definite about Moses' death. Why? Because this was to be a signal that the time had come to enter into God's promised land. A land teeming with life flowing with milk and honey and it was supposed to remind them of Eden a place of flourishing a place of fruitfulness they've been in the dry deserts wandering around panting for fresh water for good food they were going to transition now from a temporary place where they lived in tents and a place where everything was dry and difficult to a place of fruitfulness, of blessing, a permanent home full of life. And then verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, helps us to see that really this is a big moment. His death is the signal to embrace a new life. Now then, he's dead. Now then. So although Moses was this extraordinary leader... And at the end of Deuteronomy, it says this, there was no one like Moses. The people could not enter the land while Moses was alive. Now Moses and the priest Aaron, his generation were never going to cross into the Jordan, even if they wanted to. Their disobedience to God, their their sin, kept them from it. The sin of a generation who had rebelled against God. They were doing what they wanted and so when God spoke with Moses and Aaron and said right you guys need to go and sort this out you think well okay here's the moment that this great leader is is going to fix this horrible situation that they're in where they're disregarding God and going in their own direction again and he gives this instruction to Moses to um, go to the rock where water would flow now in another moment like this he was asked to strike the rock with a stick but this time he wasn't and he didn't listen closely to what God had told him and so he did it his own way he struck the rock with a stick when he wasn't supposed to and actually it seems like he did that because he was angry he was a leader who instead of pointing people to God and saying "You, you need to be obedient to God you need to obey the law of the Lord he made it about him So if you read closely in the language that he uses, he actually says it's all about him. He basically says, look, you have disobeyed me. I am offended. I am your great leader. Why have you done this to me? And so he didn't listen closely to God and he seemed to get angry with the people instead of shepherding them with God's provisions, with God's direction, with God's guiding. So it's a subtle, it seems like a subtle difference. It seems harsh. But actually, it's, it's not. 
That's just the way human beings are wired, isn't it? That we um, would go off and do things our own way. And God is just and good. And so actually what's amazing here is, is not that uh, this generation couldn't enter into the land. What's amazing here is that God shows grace anyway. He is so gracious towards Israelites. He doesn't give up on them. And actually he still promises Moses, I'm, I'm going to come through and all those other promises I've made to you, even though you keep disobeying me. Even though the people keep disobeying me. Its consequences were division from the fruitful land that was blessed by God and they were to remain in the dry land that was cursed by God. Joshua's time had not yet come until Moses died. Israel's time had not yet come until Moses died. It wasn't yet God's timing to bring about the blessing of the land. Verse 4 gives the largest dimensions of Israel's promised territory in all of scripture. Okay, Here it is, I think. And uh, you will see that it's a, a really big area. So that's it. On the, on the left-hand side, that's the, the green kind of land there, plus the land on the right-hand side. That, that is where they shoot. That's where they have to go and inhabit. And then on the right-hand side, actually, in this next generation with Joshua, you see the purple line? That's as far as they got. And so there's an element of a kind of now and not yet here. So you have to enter into the land and receive life. Receive the life of the promised land. This land that is is teeming with uh, glorious plants and shrubs and things to eat and waters of life. But you're only going to get so far in this generation. And so Moses was blocked by his sin and his generation was blocked. But then Joshua, he, he gets into the land and it's a, a saving moment. There's, when they cross over into the Jordan, which we'll get to uh, in a couple of weeks' time, it's a saving moment. There's a, a moment of salvation going on where people are being saved from the dry deserts and brought into the promised land. But it isn't for 300 years that they receive all the land under Solomon and David. And actually, isn't that just like what is going on now in the church. We want to see all of Scotland bring glory to God, worship with all of their hearts. And we are not in Moses' generation. We are in Joshua's generation. Because a death has taken place. Jesus, our great leader, had to die so that the curse could be removed and we could be blessed. So that the sin could be removed, so that we could enter into the land. Do you see the, the way that that is so closely linked with the way in which the generation of Moses was blocked, and then the generation of Joshua were able to enter in? But well, we've entered in. We've entered into the kingdom of life. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you have received new life. And out of you will flow rivers of living water, says Jesus. We are in this new life, this new kingdom, this new era, this new covenant, this new promise. And it is glorious. But we haven't taken all the land. Not yet. And so we are called to fight. 
to push back darkness with the power that God has given us by the Holy Spirit to bring life, gospel life, to people in our communities, to people all over Scotland, to see people set free, to see people liberated, to see people fall in love with Jesus and, and lose all the sin that was holding them back, to lose everything that was inhibiting them, all this nonsense that they live for when actually they're designed to live for the glory of God. And so now... Our mission as the church is to advance. We are called to advance across Scotland. It's a now and not yet kingdom. So until Jesus returns, it's unlikely that every home in the whole of Scotland will be worshipping Jesus. But we've got to fight for that. Until Jesus returns for his glory and the good of Glasgow and of Scotland and beyond. Where we get even clearer context of what is meant here in this passage is in Hebrews chapter 3. And Jesus is described as the greater Moses. We looked a little bit at that last week. And actually, the writer to the Hebrews quotes Psalm 95. And it says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry at that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Hebrews is saying we are all like that sinful generation. We are all like the generation of Moses. None of us deserves God's inheritance. Our sin has divided us from God and entering into his kingdom. But now through the death of Jesus who died in our place, who took away our sin, we can enter into the kingdom of God. Through death comes life. And this whole introduction in the book of Joshua points to a better Moses. And actually... The implication of that is that Jesus then calls us to die. He says that if you want to be his disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross, your instrument of death. We're not going to be around the bush at Glasgow Grace because I fear God much more than I fear you. You need to Die to yourself if you want to follow Jesus. If you want to go on this great adventure where God is calling us to do mighty things, you're going to die. There's no messing about. We must give up our lives. Why? Because that is what it means to know God, to deny your old life. And to follow after Jesus. I love baptisms. We're hopefully going to have a few baptisms in October. Oh, baptisms are the most glorious thing. When you go down into the water, says Romans, you die to yourself. That's the symbolism of baptism. And then you come back up to new life. And that new life is so much greater. So much more beautiful than any life you can make up for yourself. How do we get ready for the fight of our lives? We die with Christ. We lay down our lives. Number two, courage. We need courage. So here comes their inheritance. They're 
new commission as the people of God. But they're still to the east of the Jordan at this point, And the task before them must have been hugely daunting. Now even before they look across at the mighty Amorites and their fierce fighting tribes. You've got to look at the Jordan. Now the Jordan wasn't a river that was easy to cross. This wasn't like the Clyde. It was a, a deep river. And this river was a very, in a very deep gorge. It ran all the way down from the Sea of Galilee or just up to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee, Hebron area, and it trickled all the way down, got bigger and bigger, and then it comes down and into this great river, causing this great gorge, cutting this great gorge, it goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. And there's no easy way of crossing it. It's a mighty river. So how will they actually cross this thing? How can they even consider themselves formidable enough to uh, deal with these fighting people. Sure, God had freezed the Israelites from slavery to their Egyptians, divided the larger Red Sea and and crushed their enemies beneath the waves, sure. But that was when Moses was leading. What about now? Joshua had some huge shoes to fill and all the people were looking to him to stand up and lead. Joshua would have desperately needed these words in verse 5. And we desperately need these words too. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. They needed God to intervene and bring them safe passage. They needed God to come and conquer the land. They needed God to do it. In chapter 1, God commanded Joshua and the people of God to be courageous four times. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And verse 18. Only be strong and courageous. After Jesus rises from the dead. Before he ascends to the heavens. He says this to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them all the commands and surely I am with you to the end of the age. Just as God was with, was with Moses and Joshua, he is also with us. Not just leaders, but now it's the whole church. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost it was no longer just a Joshua figure or just a Moses figure who had the spirit of leadership. All of us are filled with power to go and do the work of God. My glorious. We are all called to make disciples. Now, we too could be daunted, couldn't we? As I walked down that hill. After that prayer time up there, feeling so encouraged, didn't take long of walking around Glasgow or trying to talk to some people about Jesus, where I kind of just I struggled. I struggled. I'm thinking, oh no, I'm losing some of my courage. And so we need to keep looking back to Jesus. We need to keep looking back to what the Word of God says to us. Listen to this: an American shoe company once sent a salesman to India 
But he, when he arrived, he almost immediately sent back a communication. And he said, look, no one here has shoes. There's no market. I need to come home. And so he came back. And the company decided, we're going to try one more salesman. Salesman goes out. And he cabled back. Send me all the shoes you can manufacture. The market is absolutely unlimited. No one here has any shoes. And so we can look across Scotland and we can think, man, hardly anyone has faith. Hardly anyone knows their God. Hardly anyone is free. Hardly anyone is free. We've got a lot of people to tell that they need to be liberated in in the name of Jesus. Do we look to our God and his mighty power? When we look to the task ahead. Do we look to him for courage? (coughs) The encouragement here is not just to be courageous. It wasn't just be courageous and then God kind of left it at that. No. When God says do not depart from the law to the left or the right. It doesn't just refer to the law as how we might understand it. We're not not talking rules here. (coughs) Talking about the whole law, the whole Torah. We're talking about God's revelation, God's promises. Joshua has been reminded that every time, every time God makes a promise, he comes through. He's reminding them of the Exodus scenes. He's reminding them that God is the creator God of all things. He's reminding him of Noah and Noah's day and God's mighty judgment. He's reminding them of him of all these things. He's reminding him of what he did in the life of Joseph. He's reminding him again and again and again. Look to the word of God. God's word revealed to you. Which shows and tells of the glory of our God. Who is trustworthy. He says something, it happens. And so we need to keep looking to our God. Who has given us his promise that he is with us. What did Jesus say about the harvest? He says it's plentiful, but the workers are few. Guys, we've got to believe him. We've got to believe him and have courage in his promises and his words. As we look to our mission to go to Glasgow, be encouraged by the promises of God. And the presence of God with you. When we were on the streets a couple of weeks ago, chocolates, invites, prayer, God taught us something. He taught us that we could be confident. We went out in twos, threes, fours, and everyone who came back said, oh, Do you know what? It wasn't quite as difficult as I thought it might be. I was able to have conversations with people. Some people responded really well. We were able to pray for someone. Some people came to church the next week because of our invites. It was just a tiny thing. We did it for like an hour and a half. Imagine our whole lives were designed around the mission of God. We'd see so much more fruit as we looked at his promises and his presence and have courage because of them. Now there are three ways that the Israelites receive the land and we receive God's blessing in a similar way. Number one is this, God gifts it to them. This is entirely God's gift. 
Number two, they graft for it. They fight for it. And number three, he holds and helps them with a strong grip. Now these seem contradictory, but they're not. Because God just loves to see his people being used. God loves it when we step up with faith and he responds to faith. Yet it's his work. He's sovereign. He's doing it. So we need to remember God gifts it to us. God helps us to graft for it. We've got a graft. And he holds us with a strong grip. Joshua is promised victory in his mission. And in the end, God will justify Joshua's name. God saves. He has a victory. But God wants to use him and his people. And he wants to use us to advance his kingdom by empowered, faith-filled people. Notice this di- it's a dynamic tension, isn't it? Both are true, or all three things are true. All three things are required. And, and it's a kind of tension that we have to hold as all three truths together. God said to Joshua in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. It's a gift. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Then he says to Joshua, be courageous. Get ready. Cross. Advance. March. Blow trumpets. Fight. Pick up your swords. And so Joshua, in verse 10, then commands his officers to go through the whole camp making this announcement. Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. It is God's work, but he demands acts of faith from us. Not just believing in our hearts, but also taking steps of faith. So that for you might be something really simple. Like you, get, you find it really scary to share your faith in public well, why don't you prepare something to say? If you want to, any help with this, just come and give me a shout. I might not be able to help you. I'll try my best. But if you're going to a restaurant later today or something like that, just share your faith. Share that you've been at church, first step. And then look to share your faith, have a conversation. And just be bold, courageous with your faith. Don't be embarrassed. You carry the most treasured, beautiful thing on the whole planet. Believe God. Trust God. Look to his word. He is going ahead of you. And he is with you. He's got a strong grip on you. And last thing is this. Unity. From verse 12 we see that all the people should take part in this inheritance of the land. In every part of the land occupied. That's the command. Guys, there are no spectators here. None. Everyone takes part. Sometimes I think, especially in Scotland, with the way that we use this word ministry, the minister, it's just so unhelpful. You're all ministers. Has anyone told you that before? You're a minister. You're a minister of the Lord. You are a minister. This is a priesthood of all believers. We all have access to God. He's given us all gifts. And now we have to work together to the glory of God. 
Even the tribes commanded to stay back are to go and fight and then go back to the land in the east. There's a, a selflessness to the way that the kingdom of God advances. So if we just talk about Glasgow Grace all the time, we're missing it. We've got to talk about other churches in the city here. We've got to talk about other churches in the context of our movement of churches called Advance. But we've got to talk even wider than that with other churches around the world. The the global church, churches that we might disagree with on some fairly big things. But if they are preaching Jesus, they know Jesus, then I'm right behind them. I'm for them. We need to think about the church as something bigger than just what we do on a Sunday morning. We've got to be going with the power of the gospel together. So guys, if you have other people who are criticizing our church or something like that, and they want to have a conversation around that, just let them. Be gracious towards them. Love them. Disarm people's sidelines, because that's what they are. They're just sidetracking us. Those conversations. Just show them love. Remind them of what this mission we are on together is all about. We're about to go and do some prayer meetings around the city, a prayer walk, so we'll go over to the strategic parts of the city and different areas and we'll pray. Now you might live in the south or you might live in the west, but we're going to have prayer walks in those two different areas. So if you live in the south, guys, come and sacrificially give up an evening to come and pray for a different part of the city. Sure, togetherness and, and praying for the city and when we're doing that we're not only going to be praying that we become a multiplying church in those areas that we'd see more and more grace communities there and then eventually see church plants um, but we're also going to be praying for the churches in those areas as well we, we want the kingdom of God to advance that's what it's about God's final plan for land in Israel and it's not even just pockets here and there over the years is to is actually to fill the whole of creation. We've talked a little bit about this, but it's so important, guys. God's vision for this city, for this nation, and for the whole world is much bigger than we could ever imagine. Let's get that in our hearts, that one day God will, will have his glory manifest in ways that we will see On every part of the ocean. On every part of the land. No one will be able to miss the glory of Jesus. As he returns. But that's what we're fighting for. That's what we're moving towards. Everything we do in many ways. Should be pointing to that moment. Because that's the kingdom of God advancing. Towards that point when it's complete. Numbers 14 says this, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Psalm 95 says, may he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Guys, God is doing remarkable things and we get to be a part of it. And it all begins with a death. The death of Jesus and then dying with him. Laying down our own lives, being crucified with him to take part in this kingdom of God advancing that we're all designed for. 
But not only is it just death, it's not where it ends. And we need courage. And that courage comes by the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our hearts. And we need unity. Guys, we've got to do this together. We live in an individualistic society where everyone wants to do things on their own and be all about themselves. Well, we, we've laid our lives down. <laughs> if we've laid our lives down, let's be about other people. Let's be about the kingdom of God advancing and liberating this city and this nation for God's glory and Glasgow's peace. Let me pray. Father, oh Lord God, you are so good. Thank you, God, that you didn't give up on the Israelites and all of their stubbornness and sinfulness. And thank you, God, that you show us that we're just like them, but you still came. Jesus, you have come and you have rescued us. God saves. Your name, Jesus, is so beautiful. You've saved us. And you've brought us into your kingdom. You're advancing glorious kingdom. And Lord, we pray for this city, for every part of this city to be filled with the glory of God. We pray, God, that you would use us. We are desperate, Lord, to be a part of this plan that you have for all the world, for all creation. So to you be the glory of our God. We look to you for our courage and our strength. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. So every week we love to take time to share communion together. And we do this every week because, well, the Bible says we should do it regularly. But also because we think it's super important to be constantly reminded that the body of Christ was given for you. And his blood was shed for you. And in doing that, you have been set free from your sin, from death, and from Satan. We've been set free from ourselves. And we have been liberated into God. And so together as we take the bread and we take the wine, we remind ourselves of what Jesus did. And we also remind ourselves of what Jesus will do. So when he returns, there's going to be a great wedding. And there's going to be a great feast. And at the heart of that feast is all this communion symbolism, which really communion is, is going to be fulfilled in this glorious feast when we're in the true promised land. The land, the inheritance that will be ours for eternity. And so as we take communion today, I just encourage you, as you break the bread and you dip that bread into the wine, that you would think not only about what Jesus has done, but what he will do. Hold on to the hope and the promises of God as you take communion together. Let's stand and worship the name of Jesus.